Welcome to We Are Meaningful, a podcast where we transform the anonymous experiences of black and brown talent into powerful audio narratives. Each month, we center the dialogue around a common theme, providing you, our listeners, with the tools and resources you need to help navigate, grow, and thrive in corporate spaces. Our stories, experiences, and our voices are meaningful. We are meaningful. Hi, everyone. This is Crystal. And this is Krista. And welcome to another episode of the We Are Meaningful podcast. So it's July. It's been February, March, April, May, June. We are on month six. Can you believe it? No, I genuinely cannot. Feels like it's been eight years. <laughs> Are you saying that you're tired of me? Uh, never. Yeah. <laughs> Shade. You are a shady tree. Anyway, um, this month's narrative is called By Association. And it emphasizes the dissonance that exists in corporate spaces. The dissonance between how corporations show up on the internet, on the interwaves, and how they show up inside the organization, specifically around their commitment to black and brown talent. So behind the curtain, they're not doing the work to recruit, grow, and retain underrepresented talent, and there's no accountability. So I think that... um, from both of our perspectives and probably from a lot of people's perspective right now, because of the movement that's going on, we have this ability, we meaning black and brown talent, underrepresented talent, people who care about organizations having a real commitment to inclusion and diversity are really leveraging these statements that organizations have made to hold them accountable. Yes. And Typically, we're really well-planned, right? And we have our narratives for the year. This, again, was one that we decided uh, to kind of pull together at the last minute. Why is that, Crystal? That's a good question. So based upon, I guess, the momentum in general and all the different Mm -hmm. stories that people have been sharing on social media about their experiences in organizations, I actually felt brave enough. Can you believe it? I wasn't brave before, but I'm brave now. You always been brave. (laughs) (laughs) I felt brave enough to share my own story about an experience that I had at a previous organization. But before we jump into the narrative, because we really want y'all to hear it, it's pretty good. What do you think, Krista? It's pretty good? I think it's amazing, and I'm really, really happy that we got to co-write this together. Yes, fantastic. But before we jump into that, I want to say thank you. We want to say thank you to everyone who joined us for our first public Bring Your Own Snacks event that happened on June 20th. It was amazing. It was amazing, and I I am a very harsh critic of 
the work of others and the work of our own. So I think <laughs> I was really, really, really happy with the way it came out. I would definitely give it um, a 10 out of 10. And I think it's just because of the conversations that we were having, the the different topics, yes, but also the perspectives that we were hearing, right? And the fact that we got to to hear from a spectrum of realities. I think that was the most powerful thing and th- that we also just got to connect with each other and build from that too. Totally. One of my favorite things, in addition to just the content, as you mentioned, and hearing different experiences, was the fact that the people that were there talking in the chat mm-hmm. were actually challenging our speakers. So if a speaker said something and they weren't really sure about what they meant or they disagreed, they would respectfully say that in the chat. And then we had some productive dialogue and conversation to make sure that everyone was on the same page. And I really, really, really loved that. In addition, we had this private and exclusive space that was for black and brown women where they were able to have dialogue with our friend Brittany J. Harris in a safe space. Amazing. Amazing. What is what is that? Um, who is it that says it? Future, you know, with the sunglasses, and he's like sensational. Yeah, I'm not a future fan. That's fine, but you just said it in a future voice. I have You're no like, idea. Amazing, I... and he's like sensational. I have no idea. I have put my hands in my, my face in my hands. Okay, fine. I don't know that man. <laughs> yeah, we only know Russell Wilson. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> all right. So I could sit here and joke with you all day, but I know that our listeners want to hear the narrative. So let's roll it. Hi. So... What ultimately led you to look for and accept employment elsewhere? As you know, over the last several months, we've had a difference of opinion about the expected outcomes of my role. I am a data-driven organizational architect who expertly leverages inclusive process design to create spaces where underrepresented talent can grow and thrive. Instead of leveraging my skills, you'd prefer that I plan Heritage Month celebrations for your social feeds. You want a performance and I can no longer oblige. Beyond that, the combination and culmination of microaggressions, gaslighting, false accusations, unspoken rules, exclusionary practices, and hypocritical behaviors. Gulp. But... You said ultimately, Amy, last week you compared conferences for black tech professionals to neo-Nazism. Um, okay, so this is all on the record and I could get fired for something like this. I mean, come on, my husband is black and I have black kids. I'm obviously not racist. And I apologize for it, and it really wasn't my intention to offend you, so I don't see why this has to be part of your exit interview. While you didn't intend to be racist, you were and are. I can't justify that comment, mindset, or behavior. 
especially when it isn't the first time. So ultimately, Amy, your racism is what brought us here today. Okay. Well, did you feel that you were equipped to do your job well at least? My work was always treated as priority number 5,788,332,120. I never had the power to make decisions and there was never a desire to truly integrate inclusion into the DNA of our culture, practices, and decision-making. Then, the work transformed into something for multiple roles, but the team didn't grow, just my workload. For a company so concerned with the bottom line, you run this team like a lemonade stand. It's unrealistic. Well then, any other comments, questions, concerns? Uh, yeah, it's quite performative here. Always ready with a seemingly heartfelt soundbite, but never willing to actually act. What happened behind the curtain never truly changed, but we put on quite a show in front of it. Employee resource groups, progressive public statements, pics of our black employees on the cover page. You never intended to move the needle though. While I'm gracious for the opportunity I earned here, it's taught me many lessons. One of the most important, y'all ain't worth it. I am. So coming out of the narrative, it's an exit interview. And I think what I love most about this narrative, I mean, all of our narratives are really empowering, right? But this one definitely has a little bit more of a playful undertone. And I think that's because uh, there's like a layer of relief and joy and empowerment, like I said before, that comes with standing up for yourself. And I think that's a big part of what this narrative is about. It's about telling your truth, right? Yep. It was definitely like this hashtag, I said what I said mm-hmm. type of thing. So Drop the mic. <laughs> For sure. And the mic needed to be dropped. Um, And as the person who experienced this, I don't know if I felt as powerful then as I feel today. So many people who've had conversations with me about my experience at that organization and my decision to leave know that, you know, I've said, hey, it was horrible. I said to myself, by the end of the year, even if I don't have a job, I got to go. But I wonder if I would have actually done that. Like, it felt good to say, and I felt, you know, I feel, or I felt at the moment, I'm going to actually do it. But I wonder if I would have actually done it. At this point in my career, now that I understand what I deserve in an organization, what's possible, I would so do it today. But if I took myself back to that moment, I wonder if I would have actually pulled the trigger and left with no security. 
And I think it's tough, right? Because that's why we have all of these different conversations. And, and that was a perspective that we heard a lot in our in our Bring Your Own Snacks Burden of Proof event. It was that, uh, you know, all of us as black and brown women, we have different realities. So we're in different, um, not only head spaces, but we're in different areas of this like empowerment and active advocacy and being out loud with the way that we feel and what we deserve because of job security. So I, I think it's always going to play some kind of a role in the decisions that we make, but it was really also interesting for this to go another way. Cause I'm obviously, that's not how your real exit interview went, right? I mean, no. will it ever go that way? Yeah, yeah. Actually my exit interview <laughs> was through an online form because mm -hmm. they love to do that these yeah, days. Yeah, totally. And and the link for this online form for my exit interview was buried under a whole lot of text about a whole lot of something else that didn't have anything to do with the exit interview. This narrative is a culmination of conversations that I had with a few different people as I was exiting the organization. And I think that's why it's so fun, right? Because we do that a lot. I, I know that I do at least, you know, you leave a conversation uh, where you're feeling slighted or offended or diminished and you play it back in your head or you like act it out in the mirror and you're like, oh crap, I should have said this and I should have done that. And and you kind of kind of want justice for the way that you felt in that moment and you feel like you didn't give it to yourself. And that's why this narrative is so amazing because it does give you that closure. You're saying exactly what you wanted to have said in that moment to Amy, to that person. And I don't know, not a lot of us get closure. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think another thing about this narrative that is so valid for everything that's going on right now is that as we are talking about the Black Lives Matter movement, allyship, solidarity, performative allyship, um, as we're talking about all the situations that black and brown women face in the workplace, one of the things that keeps coming up is proximity to black and brown people or, or to black people in general in this case. So when you hear people say, oh, I have a, I have a black friend, Mm -hmm. Or I have several black friends. I have black co What that mean? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and in this case, the manager says, I have a black husband and I have black kids. So there's no way that I could possibly be racist. And I think that's, a, that's such an important part to call out because we keep hearing these things over and over again. But the truth of the matter is, is that it doesn't matter what your proximity is to black people if you have close proximity to black people. That does not mean that you aren't perpetuating racism, whether it be to them or to the other people that are around you who might identify as black. Yeah, I also think it's like a really big cop out for thinking that your learning and your growth uh, has nowhere else to go because you have a black spouse because you have black friends, black associates, you think you're good. 
there's no need to look inward and to reflect. You're like, well, I accept black people. I hang out with them. So nothing I say can be wrong. And it's just the most ignorant thing because it's not true. And I mean, we see that in the narrative, right? Um, where where does that come from, comparing a conference for black tech professionals to neo-Nazism? How did that conversation even happen? Oh, Lord Jesus. Don't take me back, Krista. Don't take me Be back. Be offense. Whew, this is your closure. Wheel. This is your closure debrief. <laughs> we'll call this the closure, not no. the debrief. No, it's always the debrief. Anyway, um, this conversation came up because we were at a black tech conference. I posed the question, how do you feel about the conference? Like, how is it going? Um, and she mentioned that if white people had a conference like this, we would be called neo-Nazis. And I continued to probe her to kind of understand what it is that she meant by that, especially because we go to women's conferences, we go to LGBTQ conferences, and the same thing happens. There are people at the conference that are empowering, inspiring, and rooting for the target audience. The same thing happened at the Black conference. But for some reason, the black conference felt militant to her. Mm. I don't understand. Hmm. I don't I, understand. I don't I don't <laughs> understand either. And this is what I what I don't get about people being offended with the statement Black Lives Matter in general. It's so interesting to me because all it represents is the empowerment of a community that has traditionally and historically and presently oppressed. It's just about elevating a community. It's about positive themes and messages, and it's about making a change and impacting lives in a positive, enlightening way. So I never understand why people are so offended and scared of that empowerment. No, I get why they're scared. <laughs> um, I get why they're scared. They know. They yeah. know. It's because for so long, you know, people of color, but especially black people, have been kept in a box and they've been kept in a place. And now things are starting to grow and things are starting to swell into this amazing movement, but also in into all of these different uh, opportunities. And I, I think it's really, really scaring people because everybody is about to be exposed. Yes, and I think it's fragility and it's fear. So mm -hmm. I think I sent you this video that I saw on Instagram where this woman was talking about um, the history of black people in the US and she compared it to Monopoly. And I'll try to drop this into the show notes for this episode. But she compared it to Monopoly and she talked about how, you know, for 400 years, we were told to work. We were working for someone else and not getting paid. So we were playing Monopoly, but everything that we won or everything that we got from playing Monopoly, we had to hand it over. We were building someone else's wealth. And then for 50 years, she says, that we were, they allowed us to play the game. So we were allowed to build our own wealth. And then when they didn't like how it was going, they burned it all down. And I thought that that was so 
powerful. But at the end of this um, piece, she basically says, you're lucky that black people only want equality and not revenge. And that was Mm -hmm. so powerful to me. Oh my God. Because I'm like, that is the fear. People fear that if black people have too much power, that we're gonna do the same thing to them that they've done to us. So it's almost like scaring people to death. Like, whew, would they actually do these same things to us? But we don't wanna do that. We want justice, we want equity. Right, and it it feels right to ask for revenge, right? Which is just a nuance of reparations because it is deserved. And I think that there there is a, a fine line between revenge and justice and all of these different things. But I think you're right that all the community is asking for is equality, is equity, is is a human right that everybody else is getting when they're born into this world. But for some reason, the black community has it stripped away from them because of this fear and fragility that we're talking about. And it just, I don't know, empowers these majority groups to stay on top and to continue to push others down beneath them. But I think it's over. Game over. Racism is canceled. We so often cancel celebrities, and I think and I hope and I pray that 2020 is the year that we're like, no, racism is canceled officially. We're done at this point. Hello, Amy. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Take your ass on back to jail at the corner. (laughs) No community (laughs) cards for you. Don't go in that community chest. Community chest is for us now. Yeah, I am. I think I'm just cautiously optimistic. I love that there are so many collective voices speaking up and saying that they've had enough, but I'm definitely cautiously optimistic because this time it feels different. So we'll see what happens. And I think you're right to say that, right? To be cautiously optimistic and correct me if I'm wrong, what is that about? Is that because you're scared to not see anything come to fruition? No, I just think it's because we've been here before. Like we've been here where a black person was murdered by police who, you know, wasn't doing anything, sleeping in their bed, um, taking out their license at a traffic stop. And then all of a sudden the police officer is afraid for their life. So we've been here before. And my concern is that many times it's a moment and not a movement. It feels like a movement right now, and I'm just cautiously optimistic about the outcome. And I'll say that I think social media is playing a large part in its ability to be perpetuated and for it to be sustained. These things will never leave, will never, ever, ever leave the internet and the footprint that hashtag Black Lives Matter has created I think it's gonna live forever and all of the content that's being published and even though people don't like it, I love the freaking exposed culture of these generations. I love it, exposed. We're gonna film you, we're gonna put you on spotlight, we're gonna be like, where does so-and-so work? Let's find out, let's get them fired. You, You can no longer exist comfortably as a racist. It is no longer acceptable. We are in 2020. 
you're either going to get exposed or you're going to get better. Pick. This is true. Speaking of that, there is a account on Instagram that I somehow got glued to the other night. I think it's called like Karen's Gone Wild. No, oh my gosh. <laughs> I stayed up until like, I swear 6 a.m. one morning. I swear I did looking oh, at Karen's terrible. Gone Wild. It was so terrible. People are just horrible in the world. And if you haven't watched it, just don't. Just don't. It is traumatizing. Yeah. It was really, it was really addicting to see all of these situations that you've heard about or that maybe you, you've even experienced actually captured these different tantrums yeah. that these women have. And after they realize they've done something wrong, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't, I don't get it at all. Yeah. Go sit down, Karen. We're done. Canceled canceled thanks for tuning in to another episode of the we are meaningful podcast follow us on instagram at wearemeaningful.co and visit our website to learn more about our community and how you can get involved we're excited to hear your thoughts on today's episode talk to you next week